Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read verses 15 through 23, then we're going to have our prayer, and then uh, we're going to continue on into chapter 7. We won't read it, though, till we get to it. Let me read to us Romans chapter 6, verses 15 through 23. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, and its end is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you for this opportunity we've been given to open your word. We thank you for the many things you've been showing us over the years as we've studied your word and over the last few months as we've been diving into Romans. Thank you for what you're going to do tonight. We look forward to you showing us and opening our eyes. I look forward to you taking control of my mouth and my heart and my mind as you use me to teach these things that you've been showing me in my study, and even things that you'll show me as I teach. Lord, I thank you that your word is alive in that way. Lord, may this not be a, an educational time as much as it'll be a time of worship as we sit at your feet and allow you to, to show us more of who we are in you, what is available to us for those of us who believe, and may there be continued sanctification from your truth tonight. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we closed last study by looking at how we're not under law, but under grace. We saw that the law was made not for the saved, but for the lost. Once the law accomplished its purpose of showing us our sin, we're released from the law as we turn to Christ for our salvation and serve Christ now through obedience to His Spirit. Go back with me to Romans chapter 7 again. We've looked at this last week, but look at verses 4 through 6 again. Romans 7, 4 through 6, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written Code. Now, we've seen here that we, and we're going to break this down even more and how this starts to get specific and how the, where the rubber hits the road on these truths, but we're set free from the law. God's not judging us whether we do good or bad. He's now looking for us to live daily in the Spirit, being led of the Spirit, doing what we do by faith in Him and obedience to what He has shown us as we walk with Him. Of course, He's never going to show us anything that contradicts His Word, but at the same time, and we'll get to this more later on in our study, there's still a tendency for us to look at our lives of this is right and this is wrong. No, what is the Spirit showing you in this instance? How does He want you to respond in this situation? Again, He'll never contradict His Word, but it's no longer about did you do right or did you wrong, do you do wrong? Or 
I think what you're doing is right or I think what you're doing is wrong. No, it's more now of being, uh, living in a new way, not according to the written code, but according to the Spirit. And so go back with me to Ezekiel chapter 36. In Ezekiel 36, God made a promise to the nation of Israel that He's going to fulfill at the end of the tribulation period. But those promises are ours now in Jesus Christ, us Gentiles and Jews who have come to faith in the church age. But in Ezekiel 36, look at verses 26 and 27. Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 26. He says, And I will give you a new heart, and, I'll, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Look closely at what God promised the nation of Israel. And again, the promises for Israel are ours now in Christ Jesus. He said, I'm going to give you a new spirit. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm actually, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put my spirit within you. And I'm going to cause you to obey my commands. What you're going to see as we start breaking this down is as Paul was saying here, we used to be slaves of righteousness. I'm sorry, slaves of sin. Now we're slaves of righteousness. In other words, when we start to learn how to live in the Spirit, God Himself actually empowers us and causes us to obey the law and to obey His Word as we just walk with Him. That's why Paul says in Galatians 5.16, So I say, walk in the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Too many Christians spend so much time trying not to sin. What's sin? What's not sin? No, walk with Jesus. If you walk with Jesus, He'll cause you to obey His commands. Your focus should not be on doing good and doing bad. Your focus should be on walking with Jesus, spending time with Him prayer, in, in, in prayer and spending time in His Word, allowing Him to show you and to teach you, listening as He'll guide you by His Spirit in situations when to speak, when not to speak, what to say, what not to say. And it's no longer about, well, I think this is the right way to live versus the wrong way to live. No, we're not under the old written code anymore. We're, under, we're now serving a new way through the Spirit. All right, so you're tracking with me so far? Paul's going to start breaking this down for us in a, in, a, in a little bit as we go. So we should see ourselves as slaves of Jesus Christ, which, by the way, we are, whether you realize it or not. You're slaves of Jesus, and we're to daily follow His commands and leadership. I, over the years, I'm, I was, we were talking about this last night at a restaurant. I was with some friends. Do you, how many of you remember AAA's Triptych? Remember Triptych? I remember as kids, we used to go on trips from New Hampshire to Florida every summer, and my mom and dad would go to the AAA office and tell them where they're going and where they want to end up, and AAA would put together the Triptych for you. And as kids, I remember excited every time we saw a page flip. That means we're getting closer to Florida, you know, as we lived in New Hampshire. But then when I started this traveling preaching ministry, it, it wasn't AAA Triptych, it was MapQuest. Remember MapQuest? And it would print out instructions. You turn right here and go so many miles and then turn left. i got to be honest with you. As wonderful as MapQuest was, it didn't always work perfectly, did it? But thank God for the GPS. Because now when I travel around and go to places I've never been, I have a GPS that says turn left here. Turn right now. Oh, and if I make a wrong turn, MapQuest couldn't help me with that. But the GPS says, I know all the roads. I can get you back on the path. Recalculating, we've all heard it before. But here's the deal. Listen to me. GPS is God's positioning system. 
GPS is actually, that's how God wants us to not. We've taken the Bible and tried to follow it as a set of rules like MapQuest or Triptych. But you're going to run into stuff that in and of itself, you need the Spirit to know how to respond. That's why a lot of times people say, well, what does the Bible say about this situation? And I say, what does Jesus say about this situation? And do you know, I'm not going to take you there, in the book of Isaiah, actually even in the Old Testament, this, the prophecies talked about how he'll, you'll hear a voice saying, this is the way, turn to the left, turn to the right, walk in it. All along, God has wanted us to be children who follow him. We are slaves of his now. But when you try to live for Jesus by what you think is right and what you think is wrong, you're not following Jesus, you're following your set of rules. And when you live that way, you now all of a sudden start becoming a judge of everybody else around you on whether or not they're following the rules that you think are the right rules and the wrong rules. Again, more on that later tonight. But Jesus wants us to walk with him, being led of the Spirit. And I say, because God says it, if you walk in the Spirit, you'll keep the law. You'll keep the law. Go to Galatians chapter 2. And look at verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want you to listen closely to this again. I'm going to read it to you one more time. Paul says, and this should be our attitude as well, I've been crucified with Christ. It is, it is, it is no longer I who live. I no longer live. But, the, but Christ who lives in me. My, my life is now not Jim Johnson's life. I'm not living my life. Christ is living his life through me. And the life I now live in my flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In other words... I've heard too many people say, well, my policy is I never give money to the homeless people standing on the street corner. Well, that's great. Are you being led by Christ or are you living by your policies? Do you see what I'm saying? There's nothing wrong with understanding principles of God's word, but you've got to let the spirit of God know, show you when to apply them and when not to apply them. And we'll talk about that more tonight as well. We'll get some examples from the scriptures but I want you to understand, a lot of us, without realizing it, really don't know what it means to walk in the Spirit. We think it's some ethereal thing where our eyes will roll back and our tongue will start doing things. We don't know what it's doing. That's not what the Bible teaches. Actually, to walk in the Spirit is you're in control of what's going on, yet it's Jesus empowering you to do the things that he has for you to do. And we have to learn how to live now by faith in the one who lives within us, and has made all these great and precious promises so that we can partake of the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and look at verses 12 through 20. Paul tries to illustrate it some more. In 1 Corinthians 6, remember we're slaves of Jesus Christ. Verse 12, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12, he says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? 
Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. If you've been noticing, there's this deep truth about the fact that we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We actually didn't belong to ourselves when we were apart from Christ. We were children of who? Say we were children of Satan and we were slaves to sin. Much as we thought we were in charge and I'm going to live my own life. I'm going to do what I want. I did it my way. You can even sing the song, but actually you really didn't. You were actually a slave of sin and you were actually a child of Satan, but you've been set free from all of that and you've now been brought into the family of God and the life you now live, you no longer live. Christ lives in you and we need to learn to live by faith in the one who empowers us. And you need to consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here he says, you, you, your body's not your own. You've been bought with a price, but you have a choice. Glorify God with your body. He will empower you. He will cause you to do the things he wants you to do. But he still lets you choose on a daily basis, hourly basis, if you will, whether or not you're going to let him. That's one of the neat things about our master. He's not a hard taskmaster. He could. Could he not make us do at all times everything he wanted us to do? But there would be no choice. There would be no worship. We'd be just puppets. Will he cause you to obey his commands? Yes, he's made that promise. But you have to say, do it. But when you say do it, and you really mean do it, he will do it. You, well, you don't know about me. I, you know, it has nothing to do with you. You just have to say yes and submit yourself, surrender yourself, reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to Jesus Christ. Did you also notice how Paul said in this passage, all things are lawful, but all things are not helpful or beneficial? Let me just chase this just for a little bit. I'm not going to spend too much time on it because it's another whole message for another time. But since we've been forgiven of all our sins, past, present, and future, you can't break the law and lose your salvation. Right? Is there anything you can do that would cause you to lose your salvation now that you've been set free from the law and you're now under grace? No. You've already been forgiven of all your sins. That's already been canceled. God will not say, well, you went too far and now you've lost your salvation. That's impossible. He's given you eternal life. He's given you his spirit as a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. God will never go back on his word. Now, the Bible does teach, though, that if believers who have this freedom to live however we want... We're set free from sin, and now we've been set free to live for Christ. And if we choose not to, and we choose to take advantage and abuse this grace that we've been given, the Bible does teach that he may take you home early. Uh, for the sake of time, let me just take you there real quick, but we'll hit it fast. Go to 1 John chapter 1. It's a study for another time. Ananias and Sapphira are a good example of it. But in 1 John chapter 1, look at verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 6.
He said, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we don't sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar and his word's not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you won't sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the entire world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now, whoever says I know him but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar and the truth's not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we're in him. Now, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. All right. So now we see now jump over to first John chapter five. But now we see here that John is laid out in the beginning that we if we God is lightening him, there's no darkness. If we say we have fellowship with him, but walk in darkness, we, we walk around doing stuff we shouldn't do. We lie. And the truth is not in us. It's not saying you're not saved, but you don't have that close fellowship with him that you say you have. He then goes on and says, and don't ever think you'll get to the point where you won't sin. Anybody say he doesn't sin? He's a liar and the truth is not in him. And, but I'm writing these things to you, children, believers, so that you don't sin. I want you to learn how to walk in the spirit. If you do, though, we have someone who's a propitiation for our sins, but he also didn't die just for our sins. He died for the sins of the whole world. But then he goes on and he says, though, there should be some evidence that the spirit of God is within us. And if you really walk with him, you will be, obey his commands and you'll be like him. But there, like I touched on, there are times that God decides that a believer who's been sealed, guaranteed eternity, walks in continual sin. And God says, you're doing more damage down here on earth than good. I got to take you home early and you miss out on a ton of reward in eternity. Go to 1 John chapter 5 and look at verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. Now, there is sin that leads to death. I don't say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that doesn't lead to death. All right. So there are times that God says. You're doing more damage as a believer, as one of my children down there than good. And I know the finished product. You're not going to turn around. I'm taking you home early. Ananias and Sapphira, I believe without question, were believers. It was really hard to be a part of that group. And when they lied, Peter says to them, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? You knew what the truth was, yet you lied to the Holy Spirit. And what happened to Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira when they concocted this sin? God took them home. I don't think they lost their salvation. The Bible teaches that's not possible. If they have it, they're sealed. So let me just say this to you, folks. The doctrine of the gospel of being set free from sin and now alive to Jesus Christ is so true that there are those who tried to take this truth and they started to teach that as a Christian, you could do whatever you want. You were made alive in your spirit. It's your body. It's your flesh. 
which was bad. And you could do whatever you wanted in your body because in your spirit, you're made, made alive. And that's where the Gnostics started to come in and steep Gnosticism. And that's why Jude had to write the book that he wrote. He was wanting to talk about the gospel. And he says, but these guys have come in and they've taken this gospel of grace and forgiveness of all our sins as a license to sin and sexual immorality and all this stuff. I say to you this. It is very, 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 very true that Jesus is not judging you anymore on how good you are or how bad you are. You've been set free from the old written code. It's been canceled when it comes to you. You've been made alive now to walk in the new way according to the Spirit. Can you abuse this privilege? Yes, you can. But don't, don't just assume that God is going to ignore continual disobedience. There is sin that leads to death. Now, at the same time, I want you to also know, go to Galatians 5, verses 13 through 15, that God wants us now to daily choose to submit ourselves as slaves to Jesus Christ. In Galatians 5, look at verses 13 through 15. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. By the way, was he talking to believers or unbelievers here? Believers. He says, you've been called to freedom. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But actually live, well, go to chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. He said, serve one another. In love, serve one another. You want to keep the law? Just love Lord and love each other. And watch, you'll keep the law. But then he says, be careful. Be careful that you don't devour one another. And I'm, I'm going I'm to chase something here for just a little bit. We may touch on it a little bit later, too, in a little another way. But let me just say this to you. One of the problems I'm dealing with now as I travel around the country is the fact that Christians right now, even more than they ever have been, and they've been doing this for years, Christians are biting and devouring one another because they're all trying to serve Christ in accordance to the written code instead of the new way in the spirit. You, you're going to have Christians right now that are going to be attacking each other and whether or not they go to Disney. And they're going to say things like, you, it's a sin for you to go to Disney. Is that the new way of the spirit or the old way of the written code? That's the old way of the written code. Each one should know what the spirit of God is telling them to do. Let me just say this to you real quick. If you're going to just boycott a company that is pushing a homosexual agenda, you can't pick and choose. Have you all watched television? Have you noticed the commercials lately? Have you noticed that you hard-pressed to find any commercial now that doesn't have a gay couple in it in some way? Are you going to just stop dealing with all? You see what I'm saying? But a lot of Christians right now are getting up and saying, if you're a good Christian, you won't go to Disney. You won't give them their money. Be careful. Years ago, I was a pastor in Southern Baptist Church. and I was in New Orleans at the time, and the Southern Baptist Convention was in New Orleans. And this... They had an open business meeting time at the Southern Baptist Convention. This guy stood up and he made a motion that uh, the Southern Baptist Convention in the annuity board doesn't do any business with companies that sell alcohol or cigarettes. 
So there was a guy that had just made a presentation from the annuity board. It's where, if those of you don't know, this is a, a retirement account for Southern Baptist pastors, and they take our monies and they invest them in companies and then that kind of stuff. And this guy got up and he said, "Listen, we're not investing in Marlboro and Bush and all that kind of stuff, but be careful before you all vote on this motion that we don't do any business with any companies that sell alcohol or cigarettes." He said, "Some of you flew here to the convention." on an airplane, and they'll be selling alcohol on that airplane on your flight back. Are you going to walk home? He said, some of you try to beat the Methodists to Shoney's after church on Sunday, and they have a cigarette machine in their lobby. Are you going to stop me? You see the danger? There's this ten tendency for Christians to get upset about things and immediately start looking at things in the sense of right versus wrong, written code. When we're to be individuals who are led of the Spirit and what He would have us do, and He may say to one of you, go to Disney. He may say to another, don't. And you have to be okay with that. Because God has different purposes and reasons for why He has each of us in different places. But be careful. Our tendency is to see things right or wrong. And Jesus said, that's the old way. I want you now to walk with me. Let me lead you. Let me guide you. Go to Romans chapter 6 and look at verses 20 through 23. In Romans 6, verses 20 through 23. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God... The fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul here says that the true understanding of our new nature will along with it give us a distaste for sin and its consequences. That doesn't mean you won't be tempted still to do those things. But deep down, you won't love it as much as you used to. Things that you're now ashamed Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let me give you an example of how Paul all of a sudden had a distaste for what he used to be proud of. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 12 through 17. Paul says in 1 Timothy 1 verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Look at how Paul describes his former way of life. How does, what did he say? He said, I was a blasphemer. I was an insolent. I was an opponent. I was ignorant. Hang on for a second. Isn't this the same Paul who used to be proud of the fact that he was against Jesus? Isn't this the same Paul that used to be proud of the fact that he had gotten his righteousness in his mind through how good he was and how he had moved up the religious chain and, and of command and he had been taught by Gamaliel and circumcised on the eighth day and of the tribe of Benjamin and a Hebrew of the Hebrews and he was proud of it. Now he looks back and he says, 
I'm not proud of all that stuff that I used to think was valuable. And we're going to see this when we move into the, the end of chapter 7. We won't get there tonight. We'll read section of it tonight. But we're going to see how Paul says, now that we've been born again in our inner man, the new us, we love God's law. We love his word. We love his will. We've got a problem, though. We've still got this old flesh that's fighting us. We have to learn how to have victory over the old flesh. And how you have victory over the old flesh is learning how to walk in the new man, not in the old way. And again, too many of us are still trying to get victory over the flesh by, I'm not going to do wrong, I'm going to do right. Do you understand? That's still trying to do it by the old way of the written code. That's why Paul in Galatians 3 verse 3 says, After having begun in the spirit, are you trying to perfect yourself in the flesh? You can't. We have to learn how to do this. And over the next few weeks, as we continue to break down chapter 6, 7, and 8, and actually even get to 12, you're going to see God hopefully open our eyes to what it means biblically to walk in the Spirit. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Again, I'm not saying you won't be tempted with things you used to be tempted with, but if you love it, I'd be questioning whether or not you're a new creation. Because I still sin. And buddy, the moment I do, I don't love it. Sometimes I act in the flesh. And the moment I do, I don't feel good. I don't go, man, I felt good. To do that again? No. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. He said, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever, who, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you don't join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you but they'll give account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. He says, for this is why the gospel is preached even to those who have died. And though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. There it is again. We're to be walking in the spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 14. Those who are led of the spirit are the sons of God. Again, these are terms that we've heard the unbiblical teachers use. And they turn living and walking in the Spirit and living in the Spirit into unbiblical realms where you're not in control. I couldn't help it. I was just in the Spirit. No, 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 no. You choose whether you're going to submit yourself to God. You choose whether or not you're going to obey. You choose to offer yourselves to slave, as slaves of righteousness. And when you do, you're in control, yet it is God who empowers you to live the life that He wants for you to live. And again, it's not a matter of right versus wrong. It's a matter of the peace of the Spirit as He leads you and guides you. And so, He said, you're going to actually have people go, well, you used to love doing this. How come you don't like doing it as much? It's not changed. That guy's gone. I'm a new person now. Go ahead. I actually think it means they used to be alive, but now they're dead. I, I don't think that it was the gospel preached to people that had died already, and then the gospel, they heard the gospel. Because I don't think it's possible for a person that's died 
to be offered the gospel. The Bible teaches, appointed for man once to die, then face the judgment. And as you know, the Bible teaches that the gospel is available to everyone who believes. And so what I think what he's saying here is, is if you look at it, this is why verse 6, the gospel is preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. It's obviously he's talking about you had a choice when you're in, the, in your human body alive. So the gospel is preached to them. Even the people that are dead, they heard, they knew. Would we not agree that the Old Testament, and if, by the way, you say no, I have to go back to Romans chapter 1 and start over. So be careful to say yes to this one. Would you not agree that the Bible teaches very clearly that the Old Testament did not teach righteousness by the law, but the Old Testament taught righteousness by faith? Without question. Now, of course, the Jews missed that, and they just turned it into a righteousness by the law. But as Paul's laid out, Abraham was given righteousness before he was circumcised. He was given righteousness because he believed God and what he had said because of his faith. Paul, I mean, David even himself in Psalm 51 said, You don't desire sacrifice because I just sinned with Bathsheba. You don't desire sacrifice or I'd give it. What you're looking for is a broken and contrite heart and a submissive spirit. That you won't despise. And folks, all along, and I think this answers your question, Warren, he was saying that these people that have all died, they heard that it was a thing of the Spirit. The gospel was preached to them even. That it's a thing of the Spirit, not of the written code. It's been that way all along. You might have missed it because someone might have taken some biblical teaching and twisted it and made you believe something that wasn't true. But all along, salvation is by grace through faith. Now, we're going to do tonight, I want to close our study of chapter 6 by looking at a very famous and familiar verse in its full context. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. L listen to it again. For the wages of sin is death... But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, most of us know this verse well. We've heard this verse used in evangelism, as it should be. It's a great verse for evangelism. But the context is that Paul wrote this to Christians who were already saved. He was writing it to slaves of Christ. Is that not true? In the context of Romans 6.23, in this whole section of you are slaves to Christ now, he's not writing to unbelievers. Is it a gospel verse that we can use to tell people that the free gift of God is salvation and faith through Jesus Christ? Yes. And that the wages of sin is death and all that? Definitely. But it wasn't written to unbelievers to get them saved. It was written to believers. So what's he saying to us believers? Let me paraphrase what I think Paul's saying. He's saying if sin's fruit is death, separation, and God's gift in Jesus is eternal life, why would we want to play with sin when we have much more benefit in walking in the Spirit. I think that's what he's saying here is, if sin's benefit, fruit, is death and suffering, and God's gift is eternal life in Christ Jesus, and you have a choice now to walk in sin or to walk in the new way of the Spirit of eternal life that you've been given, which one should we choose? By the way, do you need help with that one too? I already told you how to answer the last one. We should choose the, 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 the new way of eternal life, correct? All right, let me ask you a question. How come we don't? I mean, that seemed like a no-brainer, wouldn't we? I'm, I'm going to eat dog food or I'm going to eat a steak. We've just talked about the things that we used to like. They're distasteful to us now. We're ashamed of those things. Yet, 
when those opportunities to sin arise, and we have the choice of death or eternal life, or the things that cause death versus the things that offer eternal life, why do we keep sometimes, if not many times, choosing to go in the other way? Okay, the flesh is true, but it's, that's, that's the easy answer. I'm going to throw something out to you that I want you to chew on for a while. You don't even have to accept it right now. Just let this sink in. I don't think we take the time in that moment to consider both options. Both options. I don't think we take the time to consider long-term results. I think in that moment, the temptation is so strong that we just... God will forgive me, and we do it. Instead of really considering what we might have missed out on by choosing to walk in obedience. There is reward, the Bible says, for his righteous who walk with him. Does not the Bible talk about honor for those who serve the Lord? You honor him, he'll honor you. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of sinners but meditates on the God's law day and night, that person will be like a tree transplanted, put from where it was to where God wants it to prosper, and it'll be transplanted by streams of water. Its fruit will be produced in its season. Its leaf will not wither, and everything it does will prosper. That person will prosper. Those are some really cool promises. Now, again, I'm not going to take it to an unbiblical realm of the fact that You'll never be sick and you'll be a millionaire. But there is a biblical truth, a very clear teaching, that if we choose when those opportunities come, am I going to walk in the flesh or am I going to walk in the spirit? If we choose to walk in the spirit, the Lord rewards those who honor him. Go to Psalm 34. It's not in my notes, but I think we're supposed to go there. Go to Psalm 34. Start in verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. Is he talking to people to get saved or is he talking to Christians who already are? Christians who already are. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, O children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? You, you want that? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are toward their cry. Now the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. But when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and he delivers them out of all their trouble. I don't know about you. I want that. I want that. I want to be one of those guys that when the temptation comes, I consider 
Do I want to go down the path that just brings death? And it's really not going to benefit me? Oh, it may seem pleasurable for a moment, but I'm going to miss out? Or do I want to go down the path that has already been offered and given to me of eternal life and the riches and the, and the reward that comes with that? And again, that doesn't mean I'm going to be a millionaire. But at the same time, the, those who fear the Lord, and by the way, the fear of the Lord is walk in the Spirit. And you won't do those bad things. Those who fear the Lord lack no good thing. I have a buddy of mine who uh, was talking about this years ago. His name is John. He was one of the pastors of the church I was at in New Orleans years ago. There were eight pastors at the time, and he and I were associates together, and his kids were just a little bit older than ours, and he was taking his boy to Wendy's to get a Frosty. But his boy started to misbehave, and he turned the car around and didn't get him a Frosty. And he told me the next day, he said, it killed me. I wanted to give my boy a frosty, but I couldn't reward that behavior. And so he missed out, and I missed out on the joy of giving it to him. You know, the Bible says that when we sin, we grieve the spirit. We quench the spirit. You want to know part of it? It's not that, oh, I'm so disappointed with you. No, he doesn't get to bless in the way he wants to. Your father is a generous God. And I want to just throw out to you, the fruit or the wages of sin is death, suffering, consequences. The fruit of, of, of righteousness is eternal life. Faith in Jesus Christ is eternal life. When the sin temptation comes, consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to Jesus. And the more you practice doing this, and the more you say no to the flesh and yes to the Spirit, you're going to start reaping so many rewards. You're going to find out that the fear of the Lord is not, I'm afraid he's going to get me. It's a fear of missing out on all the good that he has for me. If you think back, Nathan, when David sinned with Bathsheba, the prophet, God came to him and said, he's already blessed you with all this, and if you had asked him, he'd have given you more. Why did you think he needed to go down that road? You understand? Folks, I'm just going to say this to you. Again, we're not going to go to unbiblical realms. I'm not going to promise you that you'll be a millionaire and God will pay off your house tomorrow. But I'm going to tell you this much. There's biblical truth that for those who walk in the spirit and who continually walk in obedience to him, they prosper. I'd be lying to you if I didn't tell you that because the Bible teaches it in many, many ways. I think Paul was saying when you get to that cross on the road or why in the road, consider before you choose. Isn't that kind of what he said throughout the whole chapter? Consider yourselves dead to sin. Consider yourselves alive to Christ. Offer your bodies to God. You have a choice. You've been set free. God's not going to judge you when they do right or do wrong. God's now looking at whether or not you walk in the Spirit or you miss out. Choose to walk in the Spirit. Go to Romans chapter 7. I'm going to read to you the whole chapter, and we're going to just begin our breaking it down. In, in Romans chapter 7, he now goes on and tries to illustrate this some more. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, talking mainly to Jews, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. 
But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. If it had not been for the law, I wouldn't have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh, sold under sin, for I don't understand my own actions. For I don't do what I want, but the very thing I hate, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells within my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God, God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. We won't take the time to even get into that last section. We'll be breaking it down when we come back together next time. And like I wrote in my notes here, we're not going to cover all this in the time we have left, but we need to see this chapter in its full context to be able to start breaking it down. We need to see that even though sin leads to death and walking in the Spirit leads to life, even Paul still struggled against his flesh. By the way, theologians and Bible scholars have argued over the years whether or not in Romans 7, 14 and following was Paul talking about his struggle before he was a Christian or after he was a Christian. And for years, I flip-flop back and forth because I could read it to you and it, I could convince you that Paul wasn't saved yet and he was wrestling with his flesh. Yet I could then read it again and show you how it was Paul as a Christian. I can tell you I've settled it finally. I actually... No, the answer is not yes on this one. I actually believe that it is Paul writing in his new condition and his struggle against sin. And here's why. He brings out a couple of things which we'll break down a lot more when we get there. But he talks about how he delights in the law of God. The Bible says very clearly in Romans chapter 8 that the man that's in the flesh cannot please God. He can't delight. He doesn't delight in God's law. But he says, I delight in it. And then he also, though, says twice, it's no longer I who do it, but sin living in me. That means a transition has occurred. So he's talking as a believer. So when Paul writes in Romans 7, things I want to do, I don't. Things I don't want to do, I do. Anybody else have that problem? We've just finished, though, with Paul saying in chapter 6, hey, you've got a choice. 
Sin that leads to death or this eternal life that you've been given that leads to righteousness and all the benefits. Make the right choice. And then Paul says, oh, by the way, um, I still make the wrong choice, too. And how am I going to get victory? Well, thanks be to God. And then we're going to get into that at the end of chapter 7 and also into chapter 8. But we'll get there in time. Again, as we already looked at earlier tonight in John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, if you say you don't sin, you lie, and the truth's not in you. By the way, there were Christians, and there might even be some now. Actually, I've had a man that used to come to this study, and he doesn't come anymore because he said, Jim, you believe that Christians sin. And I'm like, the Bible teaches that Christians sin all through the Scriptures. And he goes, I don't believe Christians sin, and because you're teaching that Christians still sin, I consider you a heretic, and I'm not going to listen to heretics anymore. So he stopped coming to the study. That's okay. Again, I'm going to be held accountable for everything I share with you. I used to care whether or not you agreed with me. I'm more concerned now with whether or not the Father's pleased with the fact that I said what he told me to say. But let me just say this to you. There are those who think, well, it's not really sin because I'm not doing It's in my flesh because didn't Paul say I serve the law with my mind and with my flesh I serve, you know. And there are those who took those words and say, Hey, as a Christian, you're set free from sin. You're not under law. You're under grace. You can just do whatever you want. Beware of those kind of teachers. Over and over and over we've seen, don't use your freedom as a license to sin. So we're going to break that down when we come back together next week. But for now, the same Paul that said when you get to the crossroads and you have a choice between what leads to sin and what leads, or what leads to death and what leads to the eternal life, choose that path. He then also says, oh, but don't think that I don't still struggle with this too. But I actually think God has left us in these bodies for a reason. Actually, I don't think it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, we've been given this treasure in jars of clay to show what? That the surpassing power comes from him and not from us. Actually, you have an opportunity because of this struggle that we have to actually allow God to display his glory and his power because if we all know we all struggle with the same stuff and all of a sudden we start seeing you bite your tongue when you never used to bite your tongue, we see you actually be cool when you, ne when you used to fly off the handle in a rage, we see you actually no longer tempted by the things, or at least as much as you were, used to be, the things that you were. People are going to go say, what happened to him? Because he's just like me. Or what happened to her? She's just like me. And the glory is going to have to go to God, isn't it? Since we still struggle against sin, there's a tendency in all of us to try to fix our problem, like I said earlier tonight, by focusing on being obedient to the law instead of being obedient, stop, instead of being obedient to Christ. We stop... We try to stop sinning instead of yielding ourselves to Jesus. So Paul reminds us that since we have died and our new life is hidden with Christ, we've died to the law. It's no longer our judge or our measuring stick. And he uses the illustration here of like a woman, when her husband dies, she's no longer legally responsible to him anymore, correct? But let me say something real quick. Paul's not teaching on marriage and remarriage in Romans 7. He does, God does teach about di divorce and remarriage and all that stuff in chapter 19 of Matthew and other places. And the Bible does teach that there are times that a divorced person can remarry according to God's design. 
So don't turn this passage into saying if your ex-husband is still alive, you can't be remarried or you're an adulteress. That's not what this passage is teaching. This is not a teaching on divorce and remarriage. He's just using an illustration from the law that when a woman's husband died, she's no longer bound by that law. She's set free to marry another. And in the same way, we have been put to death and we're no longer, that's right, we're crucified with Christ. We're, we're no longer married to the law. We've been now allowed to remarry, and it's Jesus. And that's, we're set free from all that. Again, Satan wants to keep trying to put you back under the law. You're not under the law. Go to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, look at verses 1 through 3. Colossians 3, verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, we're going to come to this passage more later on in our study of how to actually consider ourselves dead and how to walk in the Spirit. But right now, just let this truth sink in. You have died to the law. You've been crucified with Christ. By the way, is Jesus going to sin anymore? No, he died. He never did. And at the same time, now that he died, he's set free from it. He's done. Not even tempted. We still are in the flesh and we're going to be tempted. But we have the one within us who, like you just talked about, lived in the human body, yet without sin. And we have available to us the power to actually stop sinning. Don't go to an extreme where if you walk with Jesus, you'll never sin again. No, you're still going to sin. But Paul, sorry, John wrote to Christians, I write to you so that you don't. There should be a growth. There was a verse in 1 John chapter 5. Go back to 1 John chapter 5 that I didn't read. It started right after we left off talking about the sins that lead unto death. Look at verse 18, 1 John 5, verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who, is, who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. Did you see that? Go back to chapter 3 of 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, look at verse 9. We see it again, worded in a slightly different way that might help you. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. So some of you read that first one and thought, well, I, I, I don't keep on sinning. I keep on sinning. No, no, no. It's saying doesn't make a practice of sinning. We all sin. Anybody say he doesn't, they're a liar. But there is evidence of a true believer. Remember how we read back in Ezekiel 36? He's going to erase your sin. He's going to give you a new heart. He's going to put his spirit within you and cause you to obey his commandments. He's predestined to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. As you walk with Jesus, it might be a slow process and it might be slower than you want it. But you are going to look more and more like Jesus. You're going to see growth. You're going to see evidence of it. Again, Satan's going to say, 
put yourself back under the law. And Jesus says, no, just walk with me. Just walk with me. And I, who have begun this good work, will finish it. And when you have a day in which you go, oh, I didn't walk in the Spirit. All you need to do is say, Lord, that's why I need you. That's why I need you. There's a daily reminder of our need for Jesus. I talked about earlier, I think God left us in these bodies for a reason, and I told you how part of it is to display his glory. There's another reason. Would, how many of you, I want to show hands. How many of you would admit you need Jesus every single day? Okay, how do you think that makes him feel? He likes that. He loves that. And he's left us in these bodies so that we would choose on a daily basis to say, I help. I need your help. I need, your, I need you. I think the greatest prayer in the whole Bible of a human that was just human, because Jesus prayed some awesome ones, but he was God and human. Of the humans is the man who said, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I trust you. Could you help me trust you? <laughs> do you understand what I'm saying? But the more you learn how to do this, the more you experience the blessings of walking in obedience, the more you're going to say, I think Jesus is actually coming alive in me. I think I'm starting to see it. And you're going to see other people notice it as well. But unfortunately, because many Christians don't know or understand these truths about setting our minds on things above, we tend to try to focus on obedience to the law versus being led of God's spirit in our actions. We try to turn everything into a right or wrong for everyone instead of realizing that being led of the spirit may also forbid you at times from things that are legally approved. Let me say this to you again. Because a lot of Christians don't understand these truths, we tend to try to focus on obedience to the law versus being led of God's spirit in our actions. We try to turn everything into a right or wrong for everyone, instead of realizing that being led of the spirit may also forbid you at times from things that legally are approved. Have you had any Christians come at you and try to get you in a debate of whether or not Christians should be vaccinated? Have you ever seen anybody kind of pontificate on social media and whether or not Christians should be vaccinated. They're trying to put you back under the law. By the way, as the government approves marijuana, you could all say, well, it's legal. And I'm going to say to you, pray to the Spirit and make sure he says it's okay. And there are going to be some of you that the Spirit of God is going to say yes for the ailments that you have. I want you to take it and feel free about it. There's going to be others. He's going to say for the purposes that I have in mind, even though it's legal, I don't want you to do it. And you better be careful. You don't start looking at everybody else whether or not they're following the law or not. No, no, no. You need to know how to recognize the Spirit of God leading you right way and the wrong way. Alcohol's been legal for a while. And actually, the Bible teaches that the sin is getting drunk. But we actually turn it into, if you have a drink, you're sinning. No. Actually, years ago, I preached a sermon when I was pastor of a church in Chicago, and I told everybody the Sunday before, here's my sermon title for next week. And by the way, when I announced the sermon title for the next week, the place was packed the next Sunday. My sermon title, I said, is I'm going to preach a sermon that is entitled Why the Bible Says It's Okay to Drink and Baptists Say It's Not. And what I sent them home with, after laying it all out, that legally, in and of itself, it's not a problem, but you better know what Jesus is telling you to do. And as much as what I taught was biblical, I had so many people go up to me and say, I know what you said is true, but you can't tell them that. 
when we really think that if we don't tell people the whole truth of who we are in Christ and the freedom we have in Christ and what it means to walk in the Spirit versus the law, that people are going to go crazy, we've actually just made a statement about how powerful we think the Lord is in each one of us. Now, if the Bible says, by the way, also, if you think something is a sin, you better not do it. And I would be sinning to tell you it's okay. You know what I'm saying? Paul talks about that. We'll get into that more as we go a little further. We're not going to, for the sake of time, we're going to stop here tonight and we'll pick it up. I'm going to show you where Jesus goes into the Sabbath, on the Sabbath into the fields, and his, his, his disciples start picking heads of grain. And the Pharisees are like, they're breaking the Sabbath. And we're going to start breaking that down. Of what did he mean when he said the Lord, that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath and how the Sabbath was made for man, not for Sabbath. But in that story, we'll come back to that next week. That's where we're going to pick up. Jesus actually says, hey, by the way, do you remember how the law said that the shoe bread, the bread of the presence was only allowed to be eaten by the priests, yet David ate it and it was okay? Wait a minute. The law said that that was a sin. Yeah, but as you're going to see, we're going to start to move into the heart of the law versus the letter of the law. And many of us today, and I'm going to say this to you and I'll say it again next week, many of us today have made ourselves teachers of the law. And the Bible says, don't all of you seek to be teachers. Because those of us who teach will be held in stricter accountability. And when you start telling people, you shouldn't be doing that, when it's not something the Spirit of God is talking to them about, you've made yourself a teacher of the law. Be careful. This is a deep concept. Thank God we get the spirit in each of us to get us where we're going to be. I love, as we close, I love how Paul said as he was talking in Galatians 5 and warning them about the false teachers who were teaching circumcision. I love this. He says in Galatians 5 verse 10, he says, I have confidence in the Lord that you'll take no other view. In other words, God will get you there. God will get you there. I love you. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.